Hello and welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast for Saturday, May 27th, 2017. On today's episode, I'm joined by Mark Spagnolo, who some of you might know better as the Wood Whisperer. And I gotta say, this was a pretty special one for me. I've been a fan of Mark's for as long as I've been woodworking. Or, well, longer, I guess, actually. So it was really awesome to get to speak with him. And as you'll hear in the audio, I was either nervous or my adrenaline was going or I don't know what it was, but definitely had me talking like the Micro Machines guy on a few occasions. Anyway... This episode bounces around from Seinfeld to woodworking to YouTube, business models, fart humor, and, well, I'll just shut up and let you listen, so enjoy. All right, I'm here with Mark Spagnolo, aka The Wood Whisperer. Mark, thank you for joining us, or me, I guess. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. This is a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's awesome to meet you. I've been watching you for years, so it's pretty crazy. Surreal, one might say. Yeah, I'm a fan of your stuff, too, so it's cool for me as well. That's awesome. So I know you've been interviewed dozens of times, and I'm sure you get kind of sick of answering the same question. So I'll try to kind of avoid the origin story stuff. But that said, I do want to kind of start the conversation just by going back in time a bit to when I first found you. Mm -hmm. So when I found you, it was about 2008, probably. I was really just getting interested in woodworking and didn't have any tools, um, hadn't really ever even cut a piece of wood or anything. But I stumbled across you on YouTube. And the thing that really appealed to me about your video style was it was informative and digestible, but more importantly, it was actually entertaining and funny. So it like, you know, made me actually stick with it. Right. So, and as I've come to, you know, find out more about you through the years, listening to you on Wood Talk, I know you're a pretty goofy guy. So I guess my first question is how calculated of a decision was that? Or was it just kind of, that's who you are and that's the only way that it could be? It's interesting because there's a bit of an ebb and flow to it. The The goofier side is absolutely the natural side of, of who I am. And it's, yeah. ask my wife, ask my family, this is who I've always been. I've been a um, sort of a a ham, but also very introverted growing up, you know, so I was, you know, get around people I'm comfortable with and I'm like the life of the party, but throw in a couple people I don't know and suddenly I'm a wallflower. Yeah. Uh, and I think when it came to doing things online, it was always a question of how much of my quote unquote, real personality to let out. And I think early on, it was just me goofing off and having fun. So I did a lot of goofy things that I just thought were funny. And now I look at them, it's like, man, that stuff was so corny. you know. <laughs> but back in 2006, in the world of woodworking and making things, it was a lot of serious business. And it was a lot of you know, and I say this as a guy with gray hair now, uh, there was a lot of gray hair. And not that that's a bad thing, but people were so entrenched in old ways of doing things. Um, so I found it, you know, advantageous to to be more of myself and to show, you know what, you can be a goofball. We can have fun with this. This doesn't have to be a stuffy, you know, it's not your granddad's woodworking stuff. Uh, so over the years, I think I've done this sort of ebb and flow of how goofy I want to be and how, how, you know, what kind of mood I'm in because, you know, I'm not an actor, you know, and you know how it is when you're recording this stuff and you're trying to put your personality into it. You tend to be an amplified version of who you actually are, even Mm -hmm. though we are not professional actors, but we do know how to put it on when, when it's required of us. So it's a question of like, how much of that do we put in? And if I'm in a bad mood or if it's a tough year, you know, we've had some tough years with the, the birth of um, both of our kids were, were uh, seven weeks early. So we've had oh, wow. our, our share of Nick U stays and, and very difficult sleepers uh, and just there, we've had some rough times. And mm-hmm. that, I think, is reflected in the content in some way because I can't be funny when I 
am not in a good mood, right. you know? So I think over the course of the years, you know, we've been doing this for over a decade now, um, the show ebb and flowed with things that were happening in my life. And there may have been, you know, phases where things weren't as funny. And I wasn't really trying to make jokes. I just was teaching woodworking. Mm-hmm. And I think now, you know, the kids are getting a little bit older. My youngest is... Uh, uh, you know, 20 months-ish now, and my uh, oldest is, you know, over five. Mm-hmm. So everyone's getting sleep, and, you know, life is just generally good and energetic. So now we're getting to a point where a little bit more of our personalities come out. And sometimes that, you know, re- results in crossing a line, you know, right. when people realize, oh, wait, Mark actually does <laughs> curse. Uh, and Mark actually does l- really like fart jokes. Uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> that's, right. I mean, that's, that's just, that's just good quality humor there. It's just being human. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I, so I think it does ebb and flow. It, I wouldn't call it so much calculated as just a natural result of a f- right. whatever phase of life I'm in at the time. So would you say now that do you, do you think you've got, gotten to the point where you feel like what you portray on camera is pretty close to who you are or do you think it's still an amplified version? Well, actually, I think it's still a toned down version. Um, okay. Yeah. And I think there, there are times when I'm really trying, I might try to be funny. That's when it's sort of making an attempt at an amplified version. But I still right. think it's a little bit more of a toned down version because I'm always holding back what I say. And, and okay. that's in an attempt to not offend someone or, you know, someone comes and watches something for the first time, like right. our Friday Live stuff. You know, we do like 45 minutes of just off the cuff discussion. And it's just me and my wife. And she is my it's it's kind of hard to explain but she's my absolute like pinnacle goal of humor if i can make my wife laugh <laughs> then i've won i've won the game yeah. of life i know and how it, you feel i think that my wife probably thinks of of everybody that's in my world i think she's the one who thinks i'm the least funny yeah like everyone that, else will be yucking it up and she's just like straight faced <laughs> the hardest critic right so if i can make her laugh then i'm like woohoo i did it i'm doing it yep. yeah so when we do our show on on fridays it's like who knows what's going to come out of my mouth because I'm just trying to make her laugh. And if someone doesn't, they're not familiar with me, they hear me say something They're like, Oh, that guy's a sexist, you know? And it's like, (laughs) no, I absolutely adore my wife. I respect the hell out of her. Um, but I may make a sexist joke because it was funny. So I do above all else. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) I I do find that I have to kind of rein it in a little bit. And, And it really is a question of how much do you want to, 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 to go for it, you know, and really right. go for it and try to be funny because a lot of times going for it means going too far. Yeah. I found that when I first started doing this stuff that I actually kind of like went into a shell when I got in front of the camera. It, mm-hmm. It's funny because you think it's going to be this thing where, you know, you're there by yourself and you can just do whatever. But when it goes on, it's almost like public speaking. It's like, I don't know, that, that <laughs> same kind of anxiety kind of takes over you. And then it's mixed with the fact that you're kind of in your head about, hey, I'm sitting here talking to myself right now, or, yeah. you know, there's, there's nobody actually there. So yeah, it's definitely taken some getting used to. And I found that the way that I usually interject or try to interject the humor into the videos is in a very, very dry manner. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, the benefit of that is if the person gets the joke, then it's funny and they get the joke. But if they don't, they don't even know that there was like an attempt happened. at a joke. Yeah. It's just, yeah, right, so it's, just talking. Yeah, you get off easy on that one. Well, and I think I have a lot of my natural you know, personality is very sarcastic. And it's yeah. one of the things my wife constantly reminds me is that kids don't understand sarcasm. <laughs> so when I'm sarcastic with my son, she's like always, you know, punching me in the shoulder because it's yeah. like okay, that's right. I, I get it now. He's not going to understand that. So trying to interject that stuff, the sarcasm can be very like, you know, dry delivery. And, and the people who get it, it's like, yes, they got it. Yeah. And like you said, everyone else is like, oh, okay. I didn't, I don't, I didn't get that reference, but let's move on. <laughs> yeah. 
So have, let me ask you this about your son. So now he's like five years old. Have you been able to start seeing like any kind of humor in his personality starting to come out or anything oh like that? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, he's, uh, he's a chip off the old block and I, I look at things he does and says and habits that he has and there's times he'll do something or he'll, he'll, he'll make a fart joke. You know, farts uh-huh. are one of the funniest things that can happen in the house yep. and he'll say something and she just looks at me and she's like, thank you. <laughs> like <laughs> that's all you, you man. <laughs> yeah. That is all you. So yeah, definitely uh, a lot of that has either rubbed off or it's just genetically programmed. One yeah. of the two. <laughs> it's just ingrained in the DNA, I guess. Yeah, I think it is. Um, all right. So one last thing on humor, cause I know you're a big Seinfeld fan, right? Oh yeah. Okay. Me too. That was like, must see TV, ironically, uh, oh, growing yes. up, or I guess the name was was uh, correctly labeled. Um, so, who's your favorite character, or do you have a favorite character? That is one of those shows where it depends on the episode. Um, but honestly, how do you not love all of them? Yeah. Um, I, but I would have to say, I mean, Jerry, of course, is fantastic. He's kind of the glue that holds the, the show together. But I'd have to say right. Kramer. Okay. I mean. Kramer is just a friggin' genius. <laughs> like uh, from from episode to episode, and it's funny when you watch the first season. If you you know the the show from later seasons, you realize yeah. that Kramer hadn't really even come into his own as a character yet. Yeah. You know, so oh, the it, whole show's so different in the early seasons. Yeah, it's kind of weird, actually. Yeah. He's just kind of a, he's a very creepy kind uh-huh. of d- just odd neighbor. Uh, yeah. And and then what he becomes later is just the I don't know. It's comedy genius in my opinion. But I, I'd have to say if I picked a favorite, it'd be Kramer. And then one la- do you have any like favorite quotes or anything anything from Seinfeld? Oh jeez, so, there's Here, but while you think of that, I'll, I'll tell you. Yeah. So my my if I had to choose a favorite character and I'm kind of the same as you where I love them all. They're like kids. Mm-hmm. But uh, I would say George. I probably like George the best. And I think that my favorite quote from him it's it's later in, in the in the show and it's when he gets a job at Play Now Sports and <laughs> and then he gets fired and he says, "Mr. Tomasulu picked the wrong man to hire cuz he was fake handicapped." And I think it just like embodies everything about George that he feels like he's been wronged because yeah. he was pretending to be handicapped and got the job because of that. And somehow he's still the victim in all of this. Yeah, actually, his, the most memorable, I think, moments are, tend to come from George, I think, with the quotes and things like that. Uh, but I think my favorite line is uh, the Kenny Rogers Roasters oh, episode. Oh, that's such a good one. <laughs> and then uh, you got Kramer yelling out the, the door that, uh, bad chicken, mess, mess you, you up. up. <laughs> yeah, I remember. So, yeah. Well, that's one of my favorites. Yeah, that's a good one. All right, we will get away from the, the, <laughs> the topic Seinfeld of cast. humor. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's, let's move on to Friends. None. Okay, um, I, don't have, I don't have many of those. <laughs> oh, okay. the show Friends. Okay. The show Friends, yeah. I was just going to work my way <laughs> up through NBC shows of the Yeah, 90s. there you go. Nice. No, so um, I guess now let's, let's switch to the Guild. So sure. I don't know if I'd call it like the central piece of your business, but I know it's a, definitely a big component of your business, and it's something that kind of interests me probably me in the future as a sort of business model. So mm-hmm. I guess I guess first just maybe take a second to explain what it is to anybody who's listening that might not have heard of it. And then I'd just be interested to know and um, you know what were sort of how what how did it come about, I guess? Uh, well the guild is uh, first of all it's at woodwhisperguild.com and it is a paid platform. Um, there's really nothing free other than a blog with some news information and there's a store. It's a, a place for people to buy access to projects. And um, if you've seen projects on YouTube, and that's what you're familiar with, this is the next level is the way we look at it. If you Mm -hmm. think of what it might be like to take a course on how to build a project at a woodworking school, what we try to do with the guild is make it a video version of that. 
Um, you know, in-person classes certainly have many, many advantages, uh, but this is something where you could pause, rewind. You've got chapters uh, where you could skip back and forth to parts of the project you need to review, and it's detailed, like uh-huh. really detailed. So if you're one of those folks who, who watches a video and says too much talking, this might not be for you. This is actually for people who want to hear the details. It's, it's not talking for the sake of hearing my own right. voice, but it, it's talking to teach every aspect as if you were standing right in front of me, and I need to make sure you know how to build this project. So that's essentially what it is. It's based around projects for the most part. And uh, we just kind of, every time we do a project, like right now we're in the middle of a dining room chair and mm-hmm. I release a video every Friday and it's usually anywhere from a, a 10 to 15 minute video uh, just discussing the portion of the project I'm in. And next the next week I'll do the next part and next week I'll do the next part. And projects can last, you know, typically two months um, because again, one video a week, every Friday, when you're right. doing that much detail, you know, that two months sounds like a lot, but it's only eight videos. Uh-huh. You know, so a lot of times it can go to eight to, to 15 videos and we'll have to double up because after about three months, people are like, okay, it's getting a little long in a tooth. Like yeah. I like this project, but I'm ready to move on. Uh, so we'll release a little bit more frequently in those okay. cases, but it's like a woodworking class, but uh, you know, in video format and trying to give you as many tools as possible to, to do this on your own in a sort of self-learning environment. Okay. See, I thought, I didn't know that you did them sort of in real time. I thought that it was more, you did the whole project and had several mm-hmm. videos that were like chapters and then put it out. And I know you do archive the project so then people can go back and buy projects. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. And basically the, the, the way I do it, I mean, it kind of depends in the ideal world, I would have this stuff like done recorded and then I'm just distributing the content. But uh-huh. life, life isn't like that for me. I've, I'm like at this point, I've just finished building a chair, putting the first coat of finish and we're about I'd say three or four videos into this project. So I am a little bit ahead, like a couple uh-huh. of weeks ahead, but I'm not that far ahead. So okay. it is it is almost a real-time process. Nice. So when did you launch that? It's about 2008, roughly. Okay, so it's been coming up on nine, ten years. Yeah, it's um, been a while. I wonder if like other, if, if this had been a bigger sort of thing at the time, you know, YouTube and the whole online content creation and all that and things mm-hmm. like patreon already existed do you think you still would have come to that route or do you think you would have like adopted other things and not even had the idea for the guild it's hard to say whether i would have because i wasn't presented with that um those options Option, yeah. so it's really difficult for me to say what i would have done but i will say that for a lot of people patreon is that sort of methodology that allows you to monetize your audience and also provide them with extra content. So if someone were to come along now, I think it's perfectly viable to go to Patreon and say, hey, for certain level patrons, you're going to get these extra pieces of content. We'll start doing projects. We'll do four mm-hmm. a year. And you only get access if you're in Patreon. And and, and you could kind of use that as your platform to almost create a quasi sort of membership site. So that is a really good sort of turnkey solution for something like that. It yeah. doesn't give you nearly as much control and right. it's, it's, it is quite limiting in what you can do with it. But that would have been compelling for me at the time. But I think my, my nature is to have ownership. I want to own things. I want to have as much control uh, as is reasonable you know, for, for the situation. So I probably would have eventually gravitated toward some kind of a paywall you know, walled garden kind of environment like the guild. Um, Because I I don't know, I think Patreon is a great way 
to earn a little bit of extra income through your general free content. People know you're working right. hard, you're providing free content, you're doing your best to get as much of this stuff out as possible, and they just want to send you a few bucks and yeah. maybe get a sticker in return, you know? Yeah. So I think Patreon gives them the way to do that with a, a couple little bonuses. Um, but but then having that paid platform, it's a totally different thing. You're saying, look, you know, you're going to give me a not unsubstantial amount of money um, uh-huh. to, to teach you how to do something and to give you much, much more detail than I ever did on any other platform. It's kind of a different relationship. So I do see I do see, you know, some logic to having both existing at the same time. Right. Yeah. I mean, I could probably sit in here and ask you a million questions on the guild <laughs> that would be more from like a business side of things, but yeah, yeah. that's probably not good for the if audience. That's not, so. Yeah. If it's not interesting to the audience, we can talk yeah. about that later on. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I will say also just to mention so that people know you do have a free site as well, where mm-hmm. it's not like, you know, the content that you put on there is not just glossed over chintzy stuff. It's still a lot of informative things that, you know, people can get a lot of knowledge from. Absolutely. Yeah. And the free site is where we started. That's everything. And a lot of times, you know, when we started the the guild, we did get a lot of criticism about people who are like, oh, you're never going to do free projects anymore. And it's like, no, this this is the core. This is the mm-hmm. absolute core of everything we do. And it's the funnel that brings people into the guild. So right. while I, I can't, I don't have the output level that most typical, you know, video producers have these days who don't have a membership website. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't have that level of output, but I am 100% continually committed to producing free content, be it projects, little tips and, uh, you know, live content, whatever it is that we happen to, uh, want to put our time into. Yeah. See, I'm in kind of a funny position where in terms, like you were saying with output, I can't really meet that output level that a lot of YouTubers do just because the projects that I tend to do are kind of bigger in nature where, Mm -hmm. you know, even if I could do it full time, I just don't think I could think of that many projects. You know, I couldn't design and think of an original project every week. Even honestly, I'm doing it right now once a month. That's probably unsustainable in the long term to to really keep doing that. Um, I mean, I kind of view myself right now still as really just like in the growth phase. And I really considered that for like the first months and then saw like, okay, I need to start thinking about how to turn this into a business more. And so that's what I've been doing over the past like six months and will probably continue to do as I learn more and more. Well, and it's funny too, because it, it re- I get a little bit of relief hearing that because sometimes I feel like I'm the only one who's like, how the hell am I supposed to produce a yeah. project every week and still do the quality level I want? So it's it's it makes me feel good when I hear other people whose work I respect saying, yeah, I can't really do that weekly thing either yeah. because I'd have to to bring my quality level down on right. my projects so much that it's not me anymore. So I, I can't do it and I don't want to do it. You know what? Yeah, and I felt that pressure a lot after the first couple months, because I'd started off just doing big projects. And then towards the end of last year, I tried to be like, all right, well, I'm going to try to produce more frequently and do some smaller things. So I did some smaller projects and Mm -hmm. they did okay, but not really that great. And then at the beginning of the year, I made a conscious effort to be, all right, I'm going to go back to doing the big stuff. And I took a little time and, you know, didn't post something for a month. And then I put one out and it did really well. And in like, you know, the four months since I've been doing that, my channel has been growing a lot faster. So it's been very encouraging to see that there is still a place and, Mm -hmm it's not all just this algorithm that's going to crush any, any possible success that you're going to have. Like there's still people that are are happy to wait around for good stuff and, and you can grow that way. Well, and the way I look at it is the numbers and the potential numbers have grown, right? What, Mm -hmm. what we have to work with 
has grown as awareness has grown of, of this medium. Uh, right. In 2006, it wasn't that way. It was really just hardcore tech people and hardcore woodworkers who were seeking this stuff out. And right. I mean, hardcore is in like really interested hobbyists for the right. most part. Well, now that pool of people who could potentially watch us, it includes like uh, my, my wife was talking to a, a college friend of hers the other day, uh, not a woodworker, not really even a craft person, but she, she goes just in conversation, but found out that she watches April Wilkerson. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, and this is a person who's not even remotely into, you know, the kind of stuff that we build. Right. And, and it just to me, it's like it has penetrated a certain level that the potential market is just massive now. It's much, much bigger than it was before. So yeah, it for may, sure. you know, you look at folks like us who are building things that take a little longer to build, our videos are a little bit longer format, and you then compare that to people who make weekly videos and have, you know, maybe a million subscribers. And you might start to feel bad about it, but it's like, no, you, you, we all have our place. And, right. you know, I like to refer to it as a funnel. We all have our place in that funnel. And I have the audience I'm supposed to have. And that audience right. is not numerically going to be quite as good as someone who's doing something that's a little more sort of general audience acceptable. And that's yeah. okay. That's honestly totally okay. Because the, the people watching your stuff, when you are ready to maybe go to that next monetization level they mm -hmm. are people who because of the nature of what you produce they're probably a little bit more interested in the craft and might right. be a little bit more likely to be a customer of yours in the future too so yeah that's a good point i mean that really gives me a lot of hope hearing you say that and i think i know there's this article i can't remember the author of it but it's the title something along the lines of a thousand true fans mm -hmm. i think you're probably like the best embodiment of that within our space where you know, even though obviously you have more than a thousand fans, it's basically, you know, just saying you can build a really good sustainable business off of a relatively small audience. You don't need yes. these huge numbers to build a, a good business. Yeah, we've said that a ton, a ton of times. My wife and I have done talks uh, to podcasting communities and things like that. And that's always one of the things that comes up. And obviously, it's just kind of a pull out of your butt number. But yeah. the point is there, you know, a thousand true fans, then true fans being and this is not to, to, to say anything against people who wouldn't pull out their wallet, but a thousand right. true fans that are willing to pay for something is really all you need if you are making smart decisions. Now, right. you can go well beyond that and do even better. But yeah, you're absolutely right. You do not need hundreds and hundreds of thousands of fans uh, and people watching your stuff to be able to successfully move to that next level. For sure. All right. So here, we'll do a little change in topic. So all right. talk about hobbies. So I know one thing that I found, and you were kind of already talking about it, but woodworking and making it seems to be the kind of hobby that doesn't really exist in a vacuum it kind of tends to draw people who are i would call them curious people i guess mm -hmm. so um i'm just curious like what other hobbies have you had throughout your life growing up that kind of led you to this or just anything that you were interested in Sure. I mean, really anything dealing as, you know, as a kid dealing with computers, um, you know, I, th I thought I would be some kind of a p computer programmer uh, growing up, but turns out I just like to play video games mm -hmm. <laughs> is what it comes down to. <laughs> yep. Uh, so, you know, a big gamer from way back, my wife and I both, uh, even, even to the, to this day, as soon as the kids are down, we're both playing something, nice. uh, which is, yeah, which is kind of cool whenever time allows. What um, do you guys play nowadays? We're playing separately right now. She's got her uh, PS4 in the basement. She's, she's finally cranking through uh, fallout four and I'm, um, okay. I got the switch a couple of weeks ago. So now I'm playing Zelda. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Got to play Zelda anytime there's a, a new Zelda game out. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so we love playing games. Um, you know, home theater has always been an interest of mine there's a, a good podcast out there called the ht guys 
I've been listening to. They've been doing you know podcasting as long as I have, uh, and I just I, I don't know. I geek out on it. We've got a home theater in the basement, and it's just something that a great place to sink money into. <laughs> like you think woodworking is expensive, you know, some yeah. audio gear, this little black box that costs you know thousands of dollars. You could really waste a lot of money. Right. Um, you know, and lately I've been getting a lot into gardening because we, we oh, moved wow. yeah we moved to Colorado and uh, you know unlike Arizona. Um, things live here, which yeah. is nice. <laughs> so uh, I've been getting into making a nice vegetable garden and keeping our landscape looking pretty good. Um, but nice. I kind of, you know, I hop around. I've done a lot of, um, I've done scuba diving in the past. Um, tattoos are kind of a hobby of mine yeah. <laughs> in a way. Um, trying to think. I mean, there's a lot of things that I've just kind of bounced around. I, I used to play in a band. I was a drummer. Oh, nice. Um, I guess once you're a drummer, you're always a drummer, but I, I don't actively play in a band. Um, but music was always a, a really huge influence in my life and also kind of an influence in my creativity and woodworking. And I use uh-huh. music, musical analogies a lot of the times to explain my approach to how I, I design and build things. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I feel like almost everybody I've talked to that's into woodworking was a musician at one point. seems like there's <laughs> yeah. a lot of uh, cross interest there. I, and I played a lot of music growing up too. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I always say that I, I, I was always into like a lot of different artistic things and had a lot of hobbies growing up. But I always felt like when I found woodworking, it was almost the perfect one because I liked creativity but I also liked kind of like mathematical things and patterns and I feel like woodworking is just like the perfect hobby for those two things kind of coming together yeah I mean it's you got the creative aspects to woodworking you've got the structural aspects like if you're a person who likes to assemble lego kits Uh um, you know what is assembling a a finished chair but like putting pieces of a puzzle together and it's also something that's very satisfying to um, I, I, I don't know. There's something about transformation for me and, and that applies to so many things in my life and it's, it sounds silly, but washing dishes, there's uh-huh. something very therapeutic and, yeah. and calming to me and actually satisfying about washing the dishes, going from a pile of dirty dishes to a nice little, uh, selection of clean dishes, yeah. um, mowing the lawn, seeing the transformation from this overgrown thing and, and taking it to something that's nice and well manicured, that sort of transformation is really exciting and, and satisfying. And I find that with woodworking, it's the same way. When I fi- finally get the piece assembled and I can coat it with finish and I can mm-hmm. see that transformation from raw wood to beautiful finished wood, it's just like, yes, this is, this is my Zen moment. And so woodworking has a lot of those um, things that kind of just speak to me internally. That, yeah. that again, like you said, it's one of those, it's one of the reasons why I, I gravitated to it without even realizing it. Yeah. I think it's, I, I have a lot of people like asking, or I think they envision me thinking that it's fun and they picture me out there with just like a big smile on my face the whole time. And I always <laughs> try to tell them like, no, it's, it's better than fun. It's satisfying yeah. because you complete something and then you have something for the rest of your life that, you know, you can forget about and then look at it two weeks later and mm-hmm. be like, oh yeah, I built that. That's and it's a cool so, thing to you experience. Know, we live in a world where most, many, most, I don't know, it depends, but uh, a lot of people are working in virtual worlds and yeah. the, the things they create are virtual. And to be able to make something as tangible as a piece of furniture, whether it's you know wood, metal, plastics, glass, whatever you're doing, it's such a tangible thing that you could touch and interact with um, that I think these days we, we risk as a society losing touch with some of that because yeah. of the sort of electronic lifestyle that we lead. And I think that, I mean, there has to be some correlation. It has to be the resurgence and interest in these types of things has to be a, a sort of response to 
us missing that. I think so. I think so. And that's why you talk to a lot of woodworkers and their engineers, computer programmers, uh-huh. doctors, um, you know, people in the, the, the science fields um, that are gravitating toward this sort of thing. I think we all have that natural instinct to assemble, to put things together, to build, and to even, you know, even go so far as saying to work with wood as a natural mm-hmm. material. Yeah. So now to, I guess we're kind of hopping around in time here. I want to, I want to go back to when you first started your business, because yeah. I know you started initially, right? Making custom furniture. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? correct. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So that was my first foray into this as well. So just wondering if you have like any kind of funny stories from your time doing that, any, I don't know, like eccentric clients that you had or I don't know cheapskate <laughs> stories or um I've had quite a few interesting people there was um uh, two that I that I remember really well one was a lady who just had a lot of dogs and I don't know whether <laughs> she you know they were just her pets or if she was um fostering but she had tons of dogs and she needed big pantry cabinets like eight foot tall you know really really wide and she could never find anything in the stores that she wanted like a Carl Fargman Seinfeld? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So so basically, she wanted dog food pantries, and Uh, she wanted to pay the absolute, you know, lowest amount of money for this possible. So I just remember it being like a particularly bad nightmare project for two reasons. One, I was stuck buying like the cheapest Home Depot plywood I, I could get because any kind of cabinet grade plywood went over budget. Yeah. So this stuff, of course, is not staying flat, you know, so I'm dealing with that as I'm trying to build with it. And at the time, uh, this was before I had gotten my Festool MFT. And my Mm -hmm. MFT was something, if you're, if people aren't familiar, it's a, um, they call it the multifunctional table. It's basically just a, um, you know, a nice folding table that opens up and allows you to make like not only 90 degrees, also other, you know, miter cuts and stuff, but perfect 90 degree cuts. Once it's tuned in, Man, you could just nail it. It's like a horizontal panel saw. Uh And that was transformational, being able to cut the ends of large plywood pieces for cabinets. Dead square every time was was insanely awesome. But I didn't have it yet. So I'm dealing with these big, you know, 24-inch deep, 8-foot tall pieces of of crappy plywood and just trying to get everything to get square. Um, So finally I get through it. We're using the, the crappy plywood. I get this thing assembled and I get it there. And then I forgot about the fact that when you have to tilt something up to get it into place and someone has yeah. low ceilings, <laughs> you tilt it up, the diagonal is a little bit longer yeah. than the vertical dimension. And uh, we had some serious trouble and, and a little bit of ceiling damage getting, after all of this, getting this damn thing into the, the woman's house. So <laughs> that was not a very fun memory. Uh, and then I did actually have a very, um, I, I would call him somewhat eccentric. He was an African art collector, really nice guy. Um, mm-hmm. But he was he was very high on the sort of artisan aspects of, of building. And to me, I'm just building stuff. Like I don't really get too... I don't worry too much about the artistic um, expression of it. And he was way, way all about that and wanted to make sure I signed every piece. He wanted all these pieces made specifically like by me. When it was all said and done, I think I made, you know, maybe eight or nine different pieces for this guy's house. That's Um, awesome. Yeah. So he was, he was a really good client, really good customer, but sometimes it takes that eccentric personality to really appreciate uh, the amount of effort and time that we put into these things. Yeah, I know that's like the main story that people always will probably tell us about like the kind of cheapskate type customer. Yeah. But one thing that I actually had that was on the opposite end of the spectrum was I got contacted by an interior design company and they were redoing a 
lobby for some hotel in New York. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't even know what the name of it was. I really wish I would have written that down so that if I ever go to New York, <laughs> I can see my stuff. But yeah, anyway, go. so they liked this uh, particular coffee table that I made and they wanted three of them. So I, I worked out the numbers and I don't remember what they were, but for math's sake, let's just say it was $2,500. Mm-hmm. That's what I, I sent them the, the total would be. Okay. So the next day I get an email back from them. They accept and they tell me, okay, yeah, send us an invoice for $7,500. So basically they thought I meant per thing, but I was saying this is for all three of them. Yeah. And man, at that moment, a light bulb just went off like, wow, work with interior designers because yeah. they have a budget and they're, it's not like dealing with people. They're just like, all right, it's under budget. Go for it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I did the nice thing and told him. No, you were that, honest. Was, that was, yeah, I was <laughs> honest about it. That's, that's for the whole thing. And then actually what ended up happening was they made changes and the price went up and then it started to approach that 7,500 mm-hmm. probably. But yeah, that was a, a kind of crazy scenario. And then actually one other, <laughs> this one was when I was like transitioning out of it. I got contacted by a person who, another interior design person, and they were doing this guy's home and he's like a Russian banker and Mm. it was in the Pacific Palisades, which if you're familiar with Southern California, that's a very expensive part, like Malibu, the beach hills, that kind of area. And it was intimidating. Like, I don't know if the African (laughs) art collector one was intimidating to you, but I was just like thinking about like Russian mob stuff. And if I mess up, I'm going to get killed. I was just like, this is all "Eh, dirty money. (laughs) I'm transitioning out of this. I think so. (laughs) I didn't do that one. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've had, um, I think for me, one of the, the biggest realizations when I was running the business was, and you, you touched on it, is commercial clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, residential clients are great, but they are mostly, you know, money conscious. Commercial yeah. clients were a whole different thing. I mean, I, I had a couple, uh, two that stand out. One, I built um, like a, sur- a sushi serving cart. So it was a mobile cart that was also a sushi prep table. So it had a big butcher block, um, you know, space in the front and had to make room for one of those, you know, small refrigerator units to go on yeah. top so that they could have the sushi sitting in that. Um, and it was to spec, but then I had to make this thing look uh, Asian influenced, which was a ton of fun. But uh-huh. pricing it was awesome. It was like one, yeah. of the few, one of the few jobs I did where I felt that I was paid what I was worth. Uh, and then we did a, an entire small bookstore at one uh, one point. I partnered with a friend of mine, and we had like 18 wall-mounted bookcases to do uh, DVD. I'm sorry, uh, CD at the time, uh, mm-hmm. CD display things for the you know that just kind of standalone in the middle of the floor. Tons of work, but it was a commercial job, and we can actually charge without yeah. any. It didn't feel like it was a personal attack when I said, "Oh, this thing's going to cost fifteen thousand dollars." They were like, okay, well, here's our budget. This, okay, that works. You know, it wasn't personal. And I think working with individuals and homeowners, it feels like a personal thing when you say, here's the price, and they think it's too expensive. Yeah, it was always weird. I felt like in the beginning, I had like this self-conscious or like weird feeling about telling them how much it was going to cost. Like I felt <laughs> yeah. bad about telling them how expensive it was going to uh, be. I was which, always nervous, man. It was, yeah. I was terrified to give people an estimate. Yeah, it's it's weird though. I mean, you shouldn't feel that way, but I don't know. I guess it's just like no. The well, a human plumber walks into my house for five seconds, and I owe him two hundred bucks. You know, yeah. it's like why shouldn't I charge what I'm worth? Yeah, um, I guess with when you were doing that, did you ever get to the point where it was a sustainable business model for you, and you just weren't interested in doing it, or you just were kind of like, all right, this is not going to work. I need to think of something else. That did happen where I, I did have to think of something else and I did for a while go back to work. And that was one of the things coming out of that experience where I had realized I'd gone too far and uh-huh. was no longer really um, employable in the sense that I could work for someone else and be happy doing it. Okay. Uh, so when I came back out of that, I was sort of reinvigorated to truly make this thing work. So for a period of time, I, I worked in a refinishing shop 
kind of part-time and just uh-huh. earned a little bit of extra money and then continued to try to bolster my business on the side. The thing is, I don't, that, it wasn't sustainable for me. And, and yeah. I could have continued, I could have struggled working my ass off just to you know try to get enough money to make sure we make our mortgage payment. Right. And I, I honestly, I've even got an article on my website about why I don't give business advice. And the primary <laughs> reason was because, as far as woodworking is concerned, a woodworking business, um, because I don't think I succeeded at it. I struggled for a long time and I persevered, but I wouldn't say that I succeeded or that I figured it out. Yeah. Um, what I figured out was that making Making content was easier and more fun, and I, that I was better at that than I was at acquiring clients. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't think there was ever a point that I would have called myself comfortable with what I was doing uh, until we got out of client work and into the Wood Whisperer. Yeah. So, I guess you know, I always like to do a hypothetical question on all of our on all of our podcasts. So this kind of leads into that. So okay. I know you when you before you started woodworking, you were in biotech, I think I've heard you say, right? Yeah. So let's say that at that time, when you kind of, you know, stood on the precipice of launching the Wood Whisperer, Mm -hmm. um, somebody could show you the future. So where you are today. Um, And then they gave you the decision that you could, in an alternate reality, you could just keep working in biotech and you'd be making right now twice the amount of money that you're making doing what you're doing. Would that change your decision at all? No, I don't think so. Because I wasn't happy with the work. You know, the, what I did in biotech, you know, I wound up not getting my PhD. And in the science world, you kind of need a PhD to get into research, uh-huh. um, unless you're just really, you know, fortunate. So I wasn't doing satisfying work. And, mm-hmm. you know, frankly, it was just it was it was just earning a paycheck. And that was it. So even for more money, I just don't think you know, life is just too short to spend time doing something you hate. I mean, right. a, a job minimally, is going to be 40 hours a week. That's a lot of time. I mean, if you count the 40 hours plus the time you're sleeping, you yeah. know, how much time do you have to pursue things you actually give a crap about? And it's not that much. So for me, you know, and, and maybe this is something that if you asked me at that time, maybe my answer would have been different. But mm-hmm. at, you know, 40 years old, my answer, you know, hopefully being a little bit wiser, is that life is just too short to do something you don't enjoy. Right. So yeah, I would absolutely take less money and do what I'm doing now, being my own boss, making my own schedule, being able to take care of my kids and take them to school every day and uh, yeah. still be able to do satisfying work while spending way more time with my family than I would otherwise be able to. Yeah. See, that's kind of a, the, it was a hypothetical question, but it, in a way it's also, I guess, an interesting question to me because it's kind of the life that I'm living right now because I am still working full time mm-hmm. and doing all the four eyes stuff in my spare time. And I don't know how old you were when you were making that decision. I'm in my mid thirties right now Uh and have one kid, a mortgage, all that stuff. And my wife still works, but you know, I get all the insurance and stuff. So it's very much a tough decision of, Oh yeah. When do you pull that trigger to do it? Well, we started this whole thing. I was about 30. So I'm 40 now. We've been in it about 10 years. So I would say probably in my very late twenties was when we made the decision to I made the decision to leave biotech and go into woodworking. And thankfully my wife had a pretty good job that could help float things while I built the business and then transitioned into the wood whisperer. Uh, And, and I'll tell you, and I don't, I generally just as a rule, don't, don't get into specifics with my finances, but I can tell you that building this business and and keep in mind, I don't just, you know, for anyone that isn't familiar with me, I don't just make YouTube videos Um, between the guild, between my book, 
speaking engagements, traveling, uh, merchandise that we do. Um, I'm trying to think of other things. I mean, of course, there's always AdSense revenue, advertising on the websites. There's so many places where we have uh, revenue coming in. It's very hard to pinpoint it, but there's a lot of balls in the air. Right. And I, you know, doing this is so much more not just emotionally rewarding, but financially rewarding compared to what I would have been able to do in, in biotech. I, I, a long time ago, passed whatever ceiling would have, I probably would have been presented with as far as salary was concerned. I passed that yeah. a long time ago. And you know, I'm extremely fortunate to be doing as well as we are it, with this dream job, essentially. Yeah, that's awesome. Hopefully I'll uh, get, to, get to join those ranks at some point and quit my job. But. I'm sure you can, man. You got the chops <laughs> for it, no doubt about it. Thank you. So now, okay, well, I, I asked uh, if there were any fan questions. I know we're starting to get a little bit long on time, so I don't want to keep you too much longer. No, I'm but fine. This is a kind of a short one, but someone asked, do you ever regret the name? I think they're talking about Wood Whisperer, not Mark. <laughs> yes, I, I quite often re- regret Spagnolo. It's a little bit long. <laughs> it's a too many letters. Um, no, I don't. I mean, it's it's fine. It isn't like... It's so goofy. It's it's not drunken woodworker. You know yeah, he changed this, and I know, and that's the yeah. thing. I mean, it's it's not something where uh, you realize now as a real business, you go, well, shit. You know, had I yeah. had I thought about this, I might not have called myself that. Right. It's catchy. It's it's something yeah, I haven't it's really, memorable. It, the only thing I don't like about it is it is a little bit too long, and I do mm-hmm. I do envy people like Cremona, for instance, who have made um, his name his brand. Right. His name is easier to spell than mine. So, um, but I do envy people who can do that because I think that just makes things a little easier when, when you are your brand. But you know, I mean, there I have no, I can't think of any reason why I would regret the Wood Whisperer as as a name. It's you know, it was something that came about you know almost accidentally. My brother suggested it. I thought it was funny, and this was you know obviously influenced by things like. Um, the horse, the horse whisperer, whisperer. And the, the dog whisperer were out at the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think Caesar, Caesar Milan's show was really yeah. popular at that time. And my brother suggested it. I'm like, ah, that, that's got a nice ring to it. Let's go with that. And yeah. uh, since then, it's fine. I mean, I got no reason to regret it. Yeah, it's funny. We were actually talking about this on a podcast that, well, it'll have come out by the time people are listening to this. But mm-hmm. um, that, yeah, somebody asked if we had to choose a new name right now, what would we choose? And so then we were all kind of talking about how we came up with our names. And yeah, we mm-hmm. got on the topic of basically um, something being memorable and something being searchable are kind of a little bit on an inverse scale from each other. So if you take yeah. something like Four Eyes, it's totally unsearchable, at least yeah. in terms of like, you know, somebody looking for anything that has to do with woodworking or designing yep. things. But it's memorable. So that's helped me like, especially in the beginning when I was, um, you know, first getting kind of some mentions from different podcasts or from design blogs when I was designing furniture, it's something that's easy to remember and then go type into your computer, you know, if you're not going to check the show notes, which I'm sure most people don't do. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's it. The the key is for it to be memorable, easy to remember and, um, and and just catchy. And it should say something about who you are, you know, and obviously yours is, uh, it's a little more on the nose (laughs) specifically. I can never get LASIK. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Exactly. Well, you just have to wear glass ones without the prescription. (laughs) Um, but you know, for the wood whisperer, it was almost after the fact that I started to try to embody what that name actually means. And uh-huh. if someone were to sit there and interpret it, what it means is we're not just building stuff for the utilitarian 
purpose of it. Like I'm not building this because I simply just want a table at any cost. I'm trying to build something that respects the material I'm using and tries to do something with the grain that brings a sense of artistry to it instead of just slapping whatever boards I have together and just making this thing finished. So you know, we try to to embody that, and I think it is a good name. But I, I very specifically try not to call myself the Wood Whisper. It's the name of the company. It's the name of the brand. I'm Mark, and yeah. what we try to do is embody what it means to be a Wood Whisper. And people who follow us, I think, are all Wood Whispers in a sense. Um, but someone even asked me this on Facebook in, in one of our groups recently, like, what is the origin of the name? And I I, I try to to make that clear that. I don't like calling myself the Wood Whisperer. I only do yeah. it when I have to for branding purposes uh, because it is the name of my company. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Since you've been doing this for quite a while, have you been recognized, you know, not at a woodworking type thing, just, you know, general public? Yeah, it actually happens a lot more than you might think for, for like an internet thing. It, it kind of uh-huh. surprises me. We latest example I could remember, we moved to Colorado um, about six months ago, roughly. Mm-hmm. And one of the first nights we were eating dinner in a mall and it has just a really nice food court with a, a bunch of good restaurants there. So we're just eating dinner and back to back, two different people oh, wow. came up and it was just, it, it's always shocking because I'm, I'm, I'm being dad at that moment. We're having yeah. dinner. My kids are throwing food everywhere. It's like, <laughs> you know, I'm not being like Mark the Wood Whisperer, quote unquote. Um, and, and the, you know, someone comes up and you know, hey, I heard you moved to Colorado. It's so cool to see you here. And, and you know, it's it's exhilarating. You know, it's uh-huh. it's one of those things where we don't set out to do this for the sake of like celebrity, right? That's not right. even. I don't think that's even a thought in most of our minds. But when something like that happens, you go, "Damn, this is powerful stuff." Yeah. Like we just moved to Colorado, and I in the same evening in the same mall ran into two people who knew who I was, and it makes me wonder how many people know who we are, but are just trying to be polite and aren't going to come up and say anything to you, you know? So it's, you just can't underestimate the reach uh, of what we do. I mean, just, yeah, I mean, think about, you can't even picture like the number of subscribers you have. If you tried to picture Mm -hmm. that, that'd be like, I don't know what, like a Woodstock or something maybe. I mean, (laughs) well, that's, that's a great way to do it. Like if you can, uh, looking at your channel, you got over a hundred thousand followers. What does the average football stadium hold? Yeah, less than that. I like 30,000 right? maybe or something. Yeah. So so when you think about, you watch a football game and look at all those people and that's only a small portion of your subscribers I and know. you go, holy crap, that's a lot of people. Yeah, I know. <laughs> now I, surprised, I have not been recognized yet. The closest I've gotten was that my wife was at a work thing and somebody saw her last name and said like, oh, hey, do you know Chris Salamone? And she's like, yeah, that's my husband. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's the closest I've come to a feeling like a star so far but we we get a lot of weird just like friends and family sort of things like there was a time i went to an event with a birthday party with my son Uh and one of the other dads that was at the party was like you know i'm not a woodworker myself but a friend of mine is a huge fan of yours and he's like he's like can you please take a picture with him and get it and so i actually became friends with this guy and he was always rubbing it in that that we were hanging out and his buddy who actually is a woodworker couldn't hang out um, but yeah, it, it really is. It's, it's mind blowing. Absolutely mind blowing. I never expect it, but it does actually happen a lot more than, than, than you might think. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. I'm still waiting for it. Well, I guess that's probably a good place to wrap it up. But I guess while I have your ear, while you're here, just one sure. more thing that I'll say to you. And that's, I've heard you in other interviews and m- maybe on your podcast and stuff, refer to yourself as not being creative. Yeah. And I just want to say that I respectfully disagree. So <laughs> you can 
chalk it up to timing or opportunities or whatever. But at the end of the day, I mean, you were one of the first people that was doing the whole self-produced content creation thing, yeah. you know, at least in the woodworking and making space. Mm-hmm. You started the guild, which, you know, probably serves as a blueprint for a lot of other people. And I know it's something that interests me. So I would say in that respect, you're more than creative. I would call you a pioneer, in fact. Well, thank you. I, uh, and I, I, I will also respectfully disagree. Now, I mean, <laughs> there are things that we were in the right place at the right time. And, and keep in mind, a lot of this is not just me. A lot of this is I've got, the, you know, the power of two brains here. Um, right. And that's my wife and I. Um, she is absolutely my, my partner in crime with all this stuff. And, you know, we, we do a lot of brainstorming about what's the best thing for us to do. What do we do next? And this has always been the case, even while she was still working for, you know, the company she worked for, mm-hmm. uh, she wasn't always working for our business. Right. Um, but we always had the advantage of two, you know, somewhat intelligent college educated people who, who have thoughts about how things can be done to, to be successful. Uh, we put our heads together and we come up with some neat ideas, but I just don't feel like, you know, overall, I don't feel like a creative person. And especially with my, my woodworking, I don't feel overly unique in the things that I create. I just kind of, I just do what I find fun, you know, and I, I, I guess I just don't want the pressure of being labeled creative because uh-huh. then I always feel like I have to come up with something that people haven't seen before. Yeah, and that's, that's just not going to, it's just not going to happen. And that's, again, a, an unsustainable pressure probably <laughs> yeah exactly. constantly come up with something new if i come up and be like look i'm just a uh, i'm a hack i just bite off of everything that i see and regurgitate it and and say that here's my version there's a lot less pressure yeah <laughs> and if under, i'm there, if i make yeah, undersell I mean, over deliver absolutely that is 100 yeah. percent the strategy you know and it works it works for me and it allows me to sleep out at night <laughs> nice well yeah very last thing i'll just say that you know i i really do think that at the time, because I was the type of person, I, I always had a lot of different interests. I was curious about things. I would glom onto something and then forget about it in a week. But mm-hmm. I think that there's a good chance that if I had not found your channel that I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today and it wouldn't have become an interest of mine. So thank you oh, for no that kidding. and thank you for hanging out with me today. Well, hey, I'm glad you did, man, because your videos are... There are some woodworking videos like I don't I don't get a chance to watch a lot of videos and I, yeah. I say this all the time I just don't have the time to do it um, but when I do watch a video I want to sort of be comforted by it I want to feel a sort of serenity in it as well <laughs> as learn some stuff too you know while I'm at it and your videos tap into that in the way that only only a few channels do this and do it well uh-huh. and for as as new as your channel is and as new as you are to doing this i think you're killing it man and the Thank stuff you. that you you know i just like to have the stuff in the background your, your choice of, of music and composition and the subtle the subtle jokes and, and the way you narrate the stuff i absolutely admire your work so it's it's fun for me i mean i look at what you do and i go damn <laughs> i want i want to start doing videos like that now <laughs> you know so it's come hang stuff. out, man. You, come to, yeah, come yeah. back to California. Oh, there you go. <laughs> We've always thought about doing that. I think we're stuck in Colorado yeah, for a while. Yeah, can't move though. again. <laughs> yeah, can't. we're stuck here. But th- thanks for having me, man. I, I really appreciate the uh, opportunity. Well, thank you. And also thank you for that. That means a lot coming from you. So thanks. All right. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you haven't already, make sure to check out Mark's website at thewoodwhisperer.com. He's got hundreds of videos that he's produced throughout the years tons of information, project builds, all sorts of good stuff. And if you're interested in the guild, there's a link on the homepage as well. So you can check it out there. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram at Modern Maker Podcast. All right. 
thank you again for listening and we'll see you Thursday. Bye. And then there's a mute button there if you want to cough or whatever. If I have to fart. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead and just fart right into that microphone. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. <laughs>